welcome back to our final teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 27, dealing with the crucifixion of Jesus. And there we saw while our Lord was hanging on the cross, a number of people came by to ridicule him. They were the passerbyers who were coming down, challenging Jesus to come from the cross, as well as the religious leaders also doing the same. However, Jesus refused to come down from the cross and we discussed why that was impossible for him to do. Number one, he had to complete the divine mission that was given to him by God. Number two, if Jesus had listened to them and came down from that cross, salvation would have been forfeited for all of humanity. The whole world would have been lost. But nevertheless, while he was there, he did what God had sent him to do. And ultimately, he died. And when he died, there were a number of supernatural things taking place around the cross and the death of Jesus, as we will see concerning the, the death of Jesus, as well as the resurrection of the Lord, a number of supernatural things happened. And one of the things that were mentioned was a number of the saints who were in their graves after Jesus himself rose from the dead, later on went into the cities to their own families. There were earthquakes and things of that nature that took place. But finally, after Jesus had died, two men came and got the body of Jesus. Number one, he was asked by Joseph of Arimathea for the body of Jesus, where Joseph buried him in the tomb, being assisted by Nicodemus, who brought along spices for the anointing of Jesus's body. And also while Jesus was being buried by these two men, a number of women who had followed Jesus during his time in ministry who took care of him. That is, they supplied Jesus' needs while he ministered. They were watching from afar where Jesus was being buried. Okay. Now, with all of that said, let's move into the final chapter and the most glorious chapter as well as the climax of the gospel. As a matter of fact, it is the climax of all of the gospels, which is the resurrection of Jesus. So let's move into chapter 28 for our final chapter in the book of Matthew and deal with the resurrection of the Lord and finally his commission to his disciples. Chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Okay, so now it is the day of resurrection and they call it the first day of the week, which would be Sunday. 
And so here we have Mary Magdalene, another Mary that Matthew has mentioned. And again, there are always other issues going on, but we're simply dealing with what? Matthew's account of this. But nevertheless, the women are going to anoint the body of Jesus. They remembered where he was buried because what? They were watching from afar when Joseph of Arimathea buried him in his own tomb. But when they came there, there were some supernatural events that we just told you about. Number one, there was an earthquake that had occurred. And then number two, there was a great angel from God who had come and rolled away the stone and sat upon the stone. Now, one of the reasons why the angel rolled away the stone was to allow for the women to come into the tomb and to see that Jesus had actually resurrected from the dead. The angel did not roll away the stone so that Jesus could rise from the dead and leave the tomb. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, had already left the tomb in whatever supernatural way that he did. He already had left the tomb. As we said, he even folded up his clothing and left them very neatly in the tomb. But nevertheless, he rose from the dead. The angels did these things so that it could be seen that Jesus was no longer there and that he had risen from the dead. But anyway, then there was a description of the angel and how the angel glowed. His clothing was white as snow and also that there was lightning that seemed to be all over his body. Now that would be something I would love to see. I don't know how many of you guys have ever watched this show, a cartoon called Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> it used to be my favorite. But anyway, uh, you can imagine this angel with this lightning and his body just has lightning just, just flashing all over him. And you can understand why this type of a creature would both be fearful to look at as well as amazing. And this is what they saw. And so, of course, the, the soldiers who were guarding the body of Jesus, when they saw this, first of all, the earthquake and then this supernatural being, this angel, of course, they didn't know what to think. And so they just laid there in absolute fear. And they said it felt like they were dead men. It seemed to suggest that the scripture is saying that these soldiers may have passed out. <laughs> Can you imagine big burly men see this angel and just pass out? But nevertheless, they became like dead men. And the angel began to speak to the women, saying that he knew whom the women were looking for, Jesus. But then the angel gave them the most glorious news in all of human history. And what news is that? He is not here. He is risen. What? Just like he said, as Jesus said over and over again, he talked about his suffering in Jerusalem, or should I say sufferings that he would accomplish in Jerusalem. And finally, they would be followed by his resurrection from the dead. So now the angel said, Jesus has now accomplished these things. And so she tells him to go quickly and tell Jesus disciples all that they have seen that Jesus has risen, res resurrected from the dead and that Jesus would meet them in Galilee. Now, I don't want to make a big issue out of this, but over and over again, even before Jesus uh, began to suffer, he told his disciples that he would suffer, rise from the dead, meet them in Galilee. 
you will find that at the end of the Gospels, he had to tell them this by way of the women, by way of the angels, by way of himself over and over and over again that he would meet them in Galilee. Now, that's interesting because we know that Jesus was from Gazareth, Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee and also Capernaum was in Galilee that was in the northern part. It is interesting to see how Jesus did not want to meet them in Jerusalem. So the idea seems to suggest that after the feast, because remember the feast of the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, which would be seven days. Okay. That Jesus would meet them back home. But my point is interesting that Jesus did not desire to meet them in Jerusalem. The scriptures does not say why, but if I had to give some sense, and I don't like to usually speculate, but even we noticed that when Jesus came to Jerusalem for his final time, he never spent the night in Jerusalem. It seemed to suggest that Jesus was simply indicating by his behavior that as far as he was concerned, as Jerusalem, as the leaders of Israel, the people of Israel had rejected Jesus Jesus now also rejects their capital city, Jerusalem, which is the place where what? The temple of God is. So it seems to suggest Jesus is now rejecting all of these things. But anyway, so the women left with both fear, fear of what they had seen, these supernatural angels sparkling white and with lightning just flashing all over their bodies. And at the same time, having great joy, with the message that was just given to them, what message? That their Lord had resurrected from the dead. So they left with fear and joy to run, tell the disciples all the things that they have seen and the message of the angel. Let's continue. Verse number eight. And they left the tomb. Okay, nine, I'm sorry. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. See it again. And there they will see me. Okay. So while the women were on their way to the brethren of Jesus, and it's always interesting. Jesus said, go, let me just deal with it. While they were on their way to the disciples, of Jesus to give them the message of the angels. All of a sudden, Jesus met them and, and they seemed to recognize him. We don't know it, whether it was by appearance or by voice, probably more so by the voice they were able to recognize him. But nevertheless, they recognized you. And why do I bring this out? There were some differences, slight differences in the appearance of Jesus in his post resurrection body. Okay. But we don't want to get into all of that. When they saw Jesus, they went and grabbed him to his feet, grabbed him by his feet and began to worship him. And the sense of all of that is simply the saying, we, we, there is a thankfulness that they are seeing their Lord once again. And by holding on to his feet, number one, they dare not hold him any type of a way. He is the Lord. He is their rabbi. And there was certain conduct that would not be um, acceptable from women concerning a rabbi and women. Even more so, Jesus now in his resurrected state 
clearly their Lord and their God. They didn't just simply go and just grab him by the chest, probably like some of us would. But the customs were different. They held him to his feet and the sense of it was, do not ever leave us again. They were so happy just to have him back. They didn't want to ever lose Jesus again. But nevertheless, what did he do? He gave them a similar message that the angels gave him. But notice the wording that he said, go tell my brethren. Now that is a beautiful thing to hear the master say. Why? Consider the actions, consider the conduct of his disciples from the very night that those soldiers came for Jesus and arrested him. What happens? The disciples basically ran away. Only Peter came and listened to the trial. Peter was there. And what did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times. Only John, the apostle, was at the foot of the cross. And we see that in the book of John, where Jesus says to his mother, behold your son. And he says to John, behold your mother. I can't wait to get into the gospel of John. But nevertheless, for the most part, the disciples have been AWOL. They have been absent without leave. We don't know where they are. As a matter of fact, another gospel is going to tell us that it's the gospel of John, that they were shut up in a house for fear of the Jews, that they might be arrested, that they might be put on trial. But the issue is this. They are the ones who Peter denied him. The rest ran away from him. But look how Jesus makes reference to them. He still calls them his brethren. Is not our Lord a wonderful and a good God? And we can mess up so bad. We can do some terrible things and still he will forgive us and still he will put it all behind us and still call us his children, his brethren, his own possession. And that is the most beautiful thing that I can see about our God and our Jesus. Those whom God has set his love upon, nothing can separate us from the love of God. What did Paul say in the book of Romans? Neither height nor death, principalities, things present, things to come, nothing, not anything can separate God from those whom he has set his affection on in Christ Jesus. And we see this same attitude and behavior in Jesus. What did Jesus say? When you see me, you see the father. He wasn't talking about the vis visible appearance. He was talking about the very nature, the actions, the behavior. When you see Jesus, you know the heart and the mind of the father. And we see a beautiful demonstration of that when Jesus calls his runaway disciples, his brethren. But once again, what does he say? Tell them that I will meet them in Galilee. And that's what I've been telling you over and over again. He tells them he'll meet them in Galilee. And the disciples were truly, once we bring all of the gospels, you harmonize all of the gospels. They were so hesitant to return to Galilee. This message had to be told them again and again. Now, what do we see here? Jesus appearing to the women and putting a message of joy in their mouth in a positive sense concerning the resurrection of the dead. But as we continue, 
as we continue, there will be another group that is the soldiers along with the chief priests who will be bringing about a negative message concerning Jesus's resurrection of the dead. So in this instance, we see two messages developing. The first message we've already seen about the women, the positive message, the truth of his resurrection from the dead. The next group we'll see will be a negative message, a lie concerning Jesus's resurrection of the dead. So let's get into the lie. Verse number 11. Now, while they, the women, were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests and all that happened, that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say to you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they were instruct had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Okay, so now here's the second group, which is the soldiers. The soldiers actually brought a true message. They came to the chief priest to tell them all the things that had happened. And it's amazing if indeed, and, and they did, they did. These soldiers told the chief priest what had happened. They had to tell about this great and powerful angel. And notice, even in this report, Nothing changed the religious leader's mind about Jesus. They still did not accept him. They did not go, oh my God, we, he actually was the Messiah. We crucified. It was none of that. All of it became an even greater lie. So they came and told the chief priest what had taken place. And when the chief priests heard about this, they gathered the assembly, the Sanhedrin together to determine what shall they do? So they decided to give a very large sum of money to these soldiers to buy their silence and to simply give them a message to say, what? If anybody asks you what happened, say that the disciples came by night and stole away the body. And if this should come to the ears of the governor, we'll calm him down and we will secure your safety. So the chief priests tell these particular soldiers, number one, tell a lie. And the lie is that someone stole the body, the disciples of Jesus by night. But that was the very reason why number one, that large stone was rolled in front of the grave. Number two, those soldiers were placed outside the grave. And also that seal was placed over the stone on the grave so that no one could steal the body. And the soldiers knew, and it was the position of the soldiers, you must maintain whatever place that you've been given. And they were given the place to guard the tomb. To fail to guard that tomb would be to forfeit their lives. If a soldier failed to hold his position in whatever he was to secure or to take care of, he would answer to that failure by being 
executed. And this is the reason why they said that the large amount of money was given. And the chief priest said, if this should reach the ears of the governor, why? Because if the governor found out that per se, somebody stole the body and the soldiers didn't keep charge over the body like they were commanded to, he would just simply send every single soldier who was out there to his execution. And this is why they said, if anything come to the ears of the governor, we will secure your safety. So the soldiers took that large sum of money <laughs> and felt pretty good about that, agreed and went about to tell the lie that what? That was put in their mouths by the chief priest, that Jesus's disciples came and came, came in the middle of the night, stole his body. Jesus had not resurrected from the dead. His disciples had perpetrated a hoax to make it appear that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And then Matthew says concerning this lie, it is still being spoken of even as of the writing of his gospel. So as Matthew was writing his gospel, he said that same lie is still being told. And let me also add to Matthew, even amongst some of the Jews today, or should I even say the majority of the Jews, they reject the resurrection of the dead. And many of them believe that his disciples came away, came and took his body away in the middle of the night. So that lie did not only extend up to Matthew's time, that lie extends even unto our time. Okay, now, so what do we have? Very clearly, we have the truth being told on one end by the women going to the disciples of Jesus and the lie being fabricated on the other end by the chief priests and the soldiers of the tomb. Okay, who guarded the tomb. <laughs> Let's continue. Verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That does, I like that. But anyway, so now, finally what? The 11 disciples finally go to Galilee at some unknown mountain in Galilee where Jesus had designated. And so when they saw him, there were the disciples there and there were a large group of people that were also there as well. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And I like the honesty of Matthew's gospel. He said, some doubted. Now, what did he mean when he said they doubted? The idea is suggesting that they didn't quite understand what to make of all of these things. They are looking at Jesus in resurrected form. Okay. And even later on, we find out in the gospel of John where Jesus ate ate food with them, broke bread with them, allowed them to touch him and to handle him. The point is they knew that Jesus had resurrected from the dead in bodily form. They knew this. They understood this, 
but the meaning in all of these events, that is for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer the things that he did and then resurrect on the third day. What does all of this mean? And that's what Matthew is trying to tell us when he says some of them doubted. They did not doubt Jesus's resurrection. They had doubts about the meaning of all of these things. If you're going to resurrect from the dead, then why die in the first place? So they did not understand that the price for sin had to be paid. You just wait until we get into the book of John and then you will understand why when Jesus breathed on them and said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. They needed the Holy Spirit to enlighten them as to why these things were needful, had to take place. But anyway, let's stay with Matthew. This is what he, Matthew means by doubting. Not that they doubted the resurrection, but they didn't understand the reasoning behind all of these things. And so Jesus now in, indicates concerning himself, all authority is given to him, heaven and in earth. Okay. Here is a second uh, 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 official way that Jesus begins to live. And that was really crappy the way I said that. Okay, let me, let me make you understand how Jesus came. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. He is both prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet, he gives us the word of God, the revelation of God. He preaches God's word. He teaches God's word. He reveals things concerning God and the word of God. That's Jesus acting as prophet. As a priest, he acts as a go-between, one who does what? Sits in heaven at the right hand of God, making an intercession for the saints, for his people and, and God, between God and his people, making intercession for us. As a king, he is one who sits on a throne with authority. So now what Jesus is simply trying to say is here is he is no longer as he was on earth in his post post resurrection form. He is not the lamb of God anymore. He is not the little branch, the little weak. He is not the one who is who who is the lamb who like who is led to the slaughter. Dumb, not opening his mouth. No, indeed, he is now Lord of Lord and King of Kings. So when Jesus resurrects from the dead by him saying all authority, he is letting them know he is now occupying the realm of divine authority. My job that I had as the Messiah in that's in the sense of dying, the Messiah in the sense of dying. He is still Messiah. He will be Messiah. He will be Messiah until he returns to earth and reigns for a thousand years. And after he reigns for a thousand years, then his role as Messiah will come to an end. But here now as Messiah, he is that authoritative figure who has been delegated this power and authority by God. So the new role that he is playing here is one of complete dominance, authority, and power. Different 
than when he first walked the earth. When he walked those earth, those roughly 33 and a half years. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. But let's go on. So as one who has authority, what does he do? He commands his disciples to go and make disciples of the nations. And notice nations here simply means all the earth, not only the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. So now, as it was in Jesus' ministry, his own ministry, when he said, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, now he says, it is time after he has resurrection, resurrected from the dead, after the gospel has been presented to the Jews, after the Jews have rejected him, the gospel is to go into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel is to go into the whole world, inclusive of the Gentiles as well. And he says, what? Make disciples of them. Not only preach the gospel so that they may be saved, but also teach them how they ought to live as saved individual. And that's why he says, teaching them to observe all that I command. First, you are saved. Then you become a disciple as you learn to follow Christ, as you learn to live according to the dictates of Christ. Do you understand that? You don't get saved by obedience. You get saved by faith in Jesus alone. I believe that Jesus is God made flesh, died for my sins, resurrected from the grave on the third day. He paid for my sins on that cross. I believe that about Jesus. I believe about the person of Jesus, that he is the God man. I believe that. And the Bible said that if you confess with your mouth this about Jesus, that Jesus is Lord and that God resurrected him from the dead, you are saved. Salvation comes by faith in Jesus alone. But when now that you are saved, how shall you live? By the dictates of Jesus, by the teachings of Jesus. What did he say to the disciples? Teach them to observe all the things that I commanded you. Pass along my teachings given to you, to the rest of mankind, to those who would believe in me. Okay. And then he also says what? In the making of the disciples to baptize them. The, the understanding and purpose of baptism, baptism does not save you. It is an outward manifestation. It is an outward picture saying to the world, I believe in Jesus of Nazareth. He is my Lord, my God, and my Savior. He is my only Lord and my only God. Okay? And so that's what he was simply saying in the issue of baptizing. Because as you move amongst the Gentiles, guess what you're going to be exposed to? A whole lot of idolatry worshiping of all kinds of idol gods. So these Gentiles need to know as well as the Jews all need to know that now I am a follower and a believer of Jesus. And that's the whole idea of that. And for this reason, let the world know I'm going to be baptized in the name of Jesus. All right. But notice what he says, baptizing them. Now let's get to this thing about the name. Notice when he said in the name, name is singular. 
So therefore, in the association that Jesus gives, that is this, what some call the baptismal formula, in the association of baptism, the name is singular, singular. But notice what he says in the name of, and if you saw this in Greek, the definite article, definite article means the, the is the definite article, is in front of each one in the name of what? The Father, of what? The Son, of what? The Holy Spirit. So we see in the name of the triune God, that is the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But because Jesus said name singular, it keeps us to understand that Jesus is a member of this Godhead. Because notice it brings them all in together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it brings us in the same sense that there is still what? One God. That's why we say is Christianity is monotheistic. One God. One God in three persons. That is one being. One being of God being shared by three persons and by, by, and by Jesus saying, baptizing them in the name singular, he associates himself as a member of the Godhead. Therefore, once again, Jesus declaring himself to be what? That's right, God. And even though he doesn't, it's not written in Matthew like it is in John, once again, Wait till we get to the book of John. Still, he declares himself to be God in all of the gospels. It's just simply stated in different manners. Okay. But anyway, saying to them, what? Baptize them in the name, singular, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and also making disciples of them by doing what? teaching them to observe the things that I commanded you. And then Jesus gives his disciples a promise. As you go out into the world, as you continue in this ministry that I have given you in this new journey that I have set you on, as you begin to evangelize the whole world, I want you to always know and remember this thing. I will always be with you. I will Always, no matter what you are going through, no matter what is happening to you, I am there. So no matter how hard the journey may get for the apostles, Jesus promised his continuing abiding presence and the presence of Jesus gives strength to them. He promises the presence and notice what he says, even to the end of the age. Which, that, which literally means the end of the church age period. Now, we're not going to get into all of the eschatological things concerning this, but we'll just simply say it this way. As he stated to the apostles that he would always be with them, it also applies unto us because he says what? To the end of the age. So as long as this church age continues up until the rapture of the church, Jesus has promised to be with his people. Jesus, if you know him, if you are a believer in him, if you have confessed him, and if your heart, if Jesus is truly in your heart, there is that great promise. He will always be with you too. And remember what he said. 
I know, I know, I know. We mess up a lot. I mess up all the time. We have to constantly repent. And we sometimes say, man, I should be better. Man, I should have done better. But let me tell you something about Jesus and our God. Just go back. That's why I like chapter 28. Go back when Jesus had raised from the dead. What did he tell those women? Go and tell who? My brethren. What brethren? The brethren that all fled from me. My brother who did not go and tell the ones who failed me. I am still their Lord. I am still their God. And let me say it this way. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. All right, guys, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Thanks for joining me in that teaching in Matthew as we've closed out our final chapter in the book of Matthew and what a wonderful word it was as we reached the climax of Matthew, which is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and those final words that he will be with us until the end of the age. Join me next time. I don't know where I'm going next. I think that we may open up the book of John, but if I open up the book of John, I'm gonna put this in a special place on the channel. I'm gonna put this for some of my uh, special viewers. I forget what they call that stuff on YouTube, but I'll let you know how we work it out. But I am really thinking about going into the Gospel of John. I'm gonna do it, uh, but I don't know exactly how I'm gonna place it on the channel. But at the same time, I may also dibble back into the book of Exodus because we still need to wrap the book of Exodus up and it is quite lengthy. I think we may have stopped off at somewhere around what chapter 24, 25, I don't know. But I'm thinking I'll go back into another Old Testament book. But anyway, thanks for being with me for that whole teaching in the book of Matthew. I hope you enjoyed the journey as much as I did. And also, thank you for all of my viewer support and if you haven't supported the channel, now be a good time to do that. All right, guys. See you next time.